Welcome to the Everyday Conversion Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Sievercrop, and I am just like you. I'm busy with work, family, kids, church, and a million other responsibilities. And honestly, some days I miss my personal scripture study and prayers. And some days we as a family miss our scripture study and prayer. But I'm trying. So if you're not perfect in living the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, but you're trying, well, get along great, and this is the place for you. Five days a week, I'll share a brief episode, often based on the Come Follow Me curriculum for that week, that I'm using to have daily conversations with my kids, whether we're on our way to school or on our way home or if it's real quick before dinner. And you're welcome to use them to do the same with your family or your personal study. Just know that the views and opinions I share are mine alone and do not represent the official doctrine and viewpoint of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now let's jump right in with today's episode. Okay, welcome back. Episode 129 of the Everyday Conversion Podcast. Super excited to be with you. Um, today I studied, I got a lot in actually. It, I, I look, I'm looking here. Let's see. I got one, two, three, three and a half pages of notes in my study journal for chapters eight through 11 of Revelation. And again, like I've said over and over again, um, for Revelation section 77 on the Doctrine of Covenants is my friend. <laughs> uh, also along with uh, the doctrinal or Bruce R. McConkie's Doctrinal New Testament Commentary, which I used a lot uh, in these chapters as well. But one of the things I learned, um, and I think this is important to, to share with you is, I, I use commentaries and stuff, but I've actually recognized, I've realized that they can become a crutch. Um, and what I mean by that is when you're reading a commentary where somebody's telling you what something means, it you you immediately turn off trying to figure it out for yourself and seeking learning from the Spirit. So what I've started to do is I'll read the chapter, I'll look at scriptural references um, first. And try to figure it out on my own and, and and just pay attention to the thoughts and the impressions that I get on my own. And then once I do that, then I'll go to uh, go to a commentary or something like that to get more insight. But by doing it that way, I don't hinder uh, what I learned from the Spirit. Because what I've learned is if I look at a commentary first off, that completely colors everything I see and everything I learn from that point on. So by doing my study first by looking at scripture references, by cross-referencing, by, uh, you know, in this instance, looking at Doctrine and Covenants 77. First, I, I'm i taught more by the Spirit, and I learn more by the Spirit. And then going back and, and reading what Elder McConkie has to say or somebody else in a commentary, then I get to fill in the nuances of, oh, that that's an ancient Israelite uh, tradition that I didn't know about. Or, oh, okay, there's that that's, there's that historical fact that I didn't know about, or oh, there's that that scripture reference, but it doesn't it doesn't uh, you know cause me to have tunnel vision from the beginning. You know, it's kind of like uh, what is it confirmation bias? You know, they talk about sometimes in in like uh, you know Kate like murder cases and and crimes where um, you know detectives and prosecutors will will be determined that somebody did it. And because they're determined that somebody did it, they miss all of this other evidence that they they just can't see because they've got tunnel vision focused on really just trying to confirm what they already believe to be the case. And that's what happens with me when I go to a commentary first. So I really try to study first 
and then go to the commentary after I've done my study, after I've, I've, you know, and I'll typically do it by chapter, you know, I'll read a chapter, I'll look at the cross references, I'll, I'll, you know, ponder on it my, on my own. I'll think through it. And then once I have done that, then I go to the commentary. So just, just a little tip, a little, uh, pro tip for you, if you will. Um, you know, to make sure that that you're focusing on the spirit first, because the spirit really is the teacher, and the spirit will teach you through commentaries. But you have to be very careful that you don't use the commentary to stifle what the spirit might be trying to teach you about something, because the spirit might be trying to teach you something very different about that scripture than what the the, the person writing the commentary was focused on, and that's totally fine. That's one of the the great things about the scriptures is that the spirit can teach us different things at different times. So, with that, uh, chapter eight. Um, this is the seventh seal, the opening of the seventh seal. And again, section 77 is helpful, but also, and this is one where the commentary actually did help. Elder McConkie pointed to Doctrine and Covenants section 88, um, which has some stuff that ties into this as well. So, um, in section or in chapter eight of Revelation, it starts with, when he had opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven about the space of, a, of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels that stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now, section 77, verse 12, it tells us what those trumpets are. It says, We understand that as God made the world in six days, and on the seventh day he finished his work and sanctified and also formed man out of the dust of the earth, even so in the beginning of the seventh of the seventh thousand years will the Lord God sanctify the earth and complete the salvation of man and judge all things and shall redeem all things except that which he hath not put into his power when he shall have sealed all things unto the end of all things. And the sounding of the trumpets of the seven angels are the preparing and finishing of his work in the beginning of the 7,000 years, the preparing of the way for before the time of his coming. So I think it's interesting, again, you know, in Revelation, especially when you get into chapter 8, we start seeing these uh, tempests and trials and, and people being killed and things being destroyed. And, and yet, even still, in this explanation, the Lord is saying this that saying that really in the 7,000 years, the main focus is, is God sanctifying the earth, completing the salvation of man, judging things and redeeming things. So it's still a, an act of redemption. And yes, there's some trials and tempests and um, you know, it's, it's, it's getting violent and scary, but really at the, at the, at the core of it, it still is a story of God redeeming his people. And, and me, and I, I really, as I'm reading through these, I'm thinking, okay, this is really, you know, earlier we, in revelation, we read about, let's see, where was it? It was when he was talking to the, um, seven churches. Yeah. So when he's talking to the Laodiceans, he says, um, I know thy works that thou art neither hot nor cold. I would that thou wert hot or cold. So then because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So it almost seems like with these trials and, and the, the challenges, it's almost like Heavenly Father and Christ are trying to say, okay, quit being lukewarm. Like you need to choose a side. The, you know, the time the time for being in the middle and, and you know, kind of riding the fence is over. It's time to choose a side. And I'm going to force you to choose a side by these, by these uh, you know, crazy things happening. You know, you're either going to turn to me or you're going to turn away from me. But there's going to be no middle ground. And I really, it seems like that's what's going on. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I'm, I'm reading from that. But if you jump to section 88, which Elder McConkie mentioned, and you go to, to verses, I think it's 93. Yeah, you go to verses 93, and, and actually in 95 it says, and it's the same thing, it says, There shall be, a, be silence in heaven for the space of half an hour, 
and immediately after shall the curtain of heaven be unfolded. So 93 talks about what's going to happen before that silence. So chapter 8 starts at the silence, but in 93 it says, Immediately there shall appear a great sign in heaven, and all people shall see it together. And another angel shall sound his trump, saying, That great church, the mother of abomination, that made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, that persecuteth the saints of God, that shed their blood, she who sitteth upon many waters and upon the isles of the sea, behold, she is in the terrors of the earth and is bound in bundles. Her bands are made strong. No man can loose them. Therefore, she is ready to be burned. And he shall sound the trumpet both long and loud, and all nations shall hear it. And there shall be the silence for the space of half an hour. So it's it's almost a precursor to what John talks about in chapter 8. So it's interesting that you know there's going to be a, a, a great sign in heaven. Um, Satan's going to be, or the church, uh, the church of the devil is going to be bound. Um, and then there's going to be the silence of half an hour. And then we get the rest of, of these things that it talks about in Revelation 8, which are pretty intense. Um, you know, basically it's just there, there's going to be um, a lot of trials and tempests. And chapter 9 continues with that. You know, there's going to be wars and plagues. And, you know, one of the things in chapter 9 that really stuck out to me was I learned this from, uh, I think his name was Jeffrey Marsh, a BYU professor. He came and spoke at a fireside when I was on my mission. And he talked about how Isaiah saw our day, but he couldn't describe our day because he didn't have the words. He couldn't say, I see an airplane, because he didn't know what an airplane was. He'd never seen one. And so he said that, you know, he he described it as a bird coming down and swooping down and snatching her, their prey and taking it to other areas. And I can't remember what that scripture reference is, but I'll, I'll see if I can find it and I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes if I do. But the same thing's happening with John in chapter nine. You know, he's seeing our day, he's seeing quote unquote modern warfare, but he has no way of describing it. He has no frame of reference. So how is he supposed to describe to the people of his time or even describe for himself seeing tanks and guns and, you know, Humvees and, and, you know, all of these things, you know, uh, the, the types of, of weapons that we have, you know, the, the mortars and the, uh, the rockets and the, the airplanes and, and all these things. And so this whole thing of, you know, locusts shaped like horses preparing for battle, their heads were as it were crowns, you know, their teeth were the teeth of lions, they had breastplates of iron. You know, he's trying his best to describe what he's seeing without being able to describe it because he has no frame of reference. You know, there's, there's no way to say, oh my goodness, what, you know, to, to describe what that is without trying to describe it in the manner that they would understand, which would be in the manner of, of, you know, you know, horse mounted warfare and, you know, men, um, you know, and, and, and beasts, you know, lions and, and tigers and bears and, uh, oh my, you know, <laughs> when I said that, but, you know, locusts and, and all these things. So, uh, scorpions, you know, he's trying his best to describe it in a way that, that will make sense to where he's, he's struggling to use his vocabulary and what he understands to describe what he's seeing uh, many thousand years ahead. And that's a difficult thing. And that's where all this symbolism comes in is him trying to do that. So chapter nine is really all about that. Um, you know, the things that he's seeing in the, in the, the wars and the, the trials and, you know, Satan and, and Satan being loosed and allowed to, to destroy and, and, uh, influence people to do, you know, horribly wicked things. Chapter 10 uh, here is is interesting because this is in the days, it says, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel. Um, and it says in verse eight, and the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, go and take the little book, which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. 
And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up. And it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. So if you go back to section 77, um, verse 14 asks, you know, what are we to understand of the little book which was eaten by John? And the answer is, we are to understand that it was a mission and an ordinance for him to bring, to gather the tribes of Israel. And behold, this is Elias, who, as it is written, must come and restore all things. So this book, you know, that contains the word of the Lord, I think it says that, where does it say that? Um, uh, you know, it it says it, uh, hmm, I can't find it. Anyways, uh, this book, you know, contained a mission that, that was John's. And we know that John was translated. No, he wasn't translated. Yeah, he was translated. And he was, he was to remain on the earth, uh, to gather the tribes of Israel. And we learn that from, from 77, 14. And so there's a lot of symbolism here. And this is where reading uh, in the Doctrine of the New Testament commentary helped me because uh, Elder McConkie says that eating a book with the words of God was symbolic of, you know, this was symbolism in, in ancient Israel of, you know, accepting the word of God, you know, feasting upon the words of Christ. You know, literally it's feasting upon the words of Christ. And then this idea of it being making his belly bitter, but his mouth sweet as honey, you know, you know, the word of God being sweet like in the honey is, is a very common reference um, in the scriptures. And so that one makes sense. You know, this this calling, the word of God, the things that he's being asked to do are sweet like in the honey. But the belly bitter, you know, it's it's he recognizes the judgments and and uh, the the trials they're gonna come. I mean, he's seeing them, he's witnessing them, and they're causing him despair and sadness and and pain and anguish, seeing the pain. You know, I think of of Mormon and Moroni and the the anguish they saw, knowing uh, where the Nephite nation was headed. Um, and that same thing was happening with John. So um, I thought it was interesting that it says this is Elias. You know, he is an Elias. He's he's one that that restores, that is called to restore the gospel. And we know that he came with Peter and James to restore the priesthood. Um, and and he's he's been doing his work um, from the time of Christ uh, till now, till today. And that was an interesting thought as I was thinking through it. It's like, wow, you know, John's still on the earth and he's still helping gather Israel. How cool, you know, how neat um, to think of that, to think that he's here somehow, somewhere. All right, so chapter 11. Chapter 11 is an interesting chapter and it blows my mind because it really is kind of terrifying, you know, and it's this idea of in, in verse three of chapter 11 it says, I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. And it says, if anybody tries to hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. It says that they have power to shut up heaven, that it doesn't rain. They have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. It says, and when they have shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit, which is Satan, shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritual, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the, all the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half 
and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they, they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entereth, entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them. So there's a few things here that really impressed me. And again, you know, I've always wondered, okay, are these two witnesses, who are they? You know, who are these two witnesses that are going to, um, to, to appear? And this is where, again, Elder McConkie kind of helps me a little bit. Okay, hold on. I got to finish recording real quick. Okay. Go watch Mickey, my son. Uh, so I'm reading through it and he has some interesting things he says about these two witnesses that, um, is kind of interesting and also really kind of terrifying in a lot of ways. Um, two prophets shall be slain in Jerusalem. Uh, Bruce R. McConkie says, and he quotes Second Corinthians, in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. He said, such is God's eternal law. And these two shall be followers of that humble man, Joseph Smith, through whom the Lord of heaven restored the fullness of his everlasting gospel in this final dispensation of grace. No doubt they will be members of the Council of the Twelve or the First Presidency of the Church. Their prophetic mission to rebellious Jewry will, shall be, this, be the same in length as was our Lord's personal ministry among their rebellious forebears. So it's interesting that, you know, I wouldn't have known that unless Elder McConkie had pointed out. First off, um, it makes sense, and that's kind of what I always had assumed, but it makes sense that they will be apostles um, because who else is going to testify and to, um, to uh, yeah, to testify in, in Jerusalem. So, I mean, it, it's crazy to think that at some point in the future it, that there will be two apostles or members of the First Presidency uh, or, or the Quorum of the Twelve that will go to prophesy in, in Jerusalem. And they'll do it for 1,260 days, which is about just about three and a half years. Uh, which is how long the Savior's ministry was. And as I started reading through this, I was like, oh my goodness, there's a lot of symbolism between these two prophets and the Savior. And I'd never noticed that before. Um, you know, the length of the ministry. You know, Elder McConkie says it's the same length, three and a half years. You know, where are they at? They're testifying in Jerusalem. That's where the Savior was. <clears throat> you know, they're bearing testimony of Christ. What did Christ do? He bore testimony of himself that he was the Son of God. Uh, they're going to be killed by evil men, uh, just like the Savior was. Those who kill him will rejoice in the fact that he is killed. They'll celebrate it, and then they'll be resurrected after three days. And that symbolism is just unbelievable to me, and I'd never noticed that before. I'd never thought of them being symbolic of the Savior and the Savior's ministry and just a reminder and a testimony about his ministry. The other interesting thing, and, and this I learned from Elder McConkie too, is the, the references that, you know, the, the calling back of the powers of ancient prophets as well. You know, the power to shut up heaven that it rained not in the days of their prophecy. Uh, that was Elijah. You know, being able to turn waters to blood and smite the earth with plagues. That was Moses. You know, these are our prophets that are very near and dear to us in the restoration because they have came during the restoration to restore certain priesthood keys. And so it's interesting that there's that symbolism as well. Um, and, you know, this, these two witnesses, like I said, it's just, it's, it's terrifying and crazy to think that at some point the world is going to become so wicked and as the second coming gets closer that they will literally kill apostles and prophets again. 
I mean, of course, that happened in early days uh, of this dispensation and, and also uh, in past dispensations, but it just it, it boggles the mind to think that it could happen again. But again, I think as I was reading through this, the thing that I really, really wanted to hang on to was this idea of, you know, exactly what it says in, in section 77, that the seventh seal, the 7,000 years, the purpose of it is for God to sanctify the earth, complete the salvation of men, judge all things, and redeem all things. And how really that's what this is about, you know, and, and, and as the world gets more wicked, Satan's going to think that he's in control and he's going to think that he's winning. But really what's happening is the Savior's preparing the earth for the second coming. And I really think it does go back to uh, making us choose a side, you know, making it to where we can no longer be, um, you know, just um, watching on the sidelines. We can no longer not choose a side. We can no longer be neutral. You know, we can't be lukewarm. We're going to have to pick a side. Um, and that, it seems like that's what's happening here is the Savior saying it's time to choose. You know, when these things start happening, and, and really I feel like this is already kind of happening. You know, I think even with some of the changes that have been made in the church, I think it's it's um, it's forcing us to make decisions. You know, we can no longer... Oh, okay, hold on. I'm almost done. Um, we can no longer uh, just kind of float along. You know, with church being reduced to two hours and us having the, uh, us being invited to do more study at home with our families, we can't have that as a cru- crutch. We can't count on the church to, to give us our spiritual nourishment. We can't count on the church as much to teach our kids. We have to make that decision. We have to choose to do it. And I, I really feel like that's just the beginning of it. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's this idea of, you know, like, like it says in, was it Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. You know, we can no longer say, well, we're just going to hang on the outskirts. Like we have to make that decision. I really think that's what it comes down to is making that choice and not being lukewarm, not, not being uh, neutral. And that's what I'm, re- as I'm reading these, that's what I'm getting is that's what the savior is telling us as we get closer to the second coming, it's time to choose. It's time to choose. Are you on my side? Or are you on the devil's side? You know, there's no more middle ground. There's no more just floating along. And so, you know, I'll link to all of these things that I referenced today in the show notes uh, at everydayconversion.com forward slash 129. And um, super excited to continue studying this. I know this week's uh, study was actually supposed to be about Christmas, I believe. But I was so deep into to Revelation last week, I didn't get as far as I wanted. So I chose to continue studying a Revelation, which, by the way, is what Come Follow Me is all about. So, um, you know, that that's what I chose to do. And I hope it's been helpful to you. Also, like I mentioned yesterday, if you uh, are interested, um, I came across this amazing 2020 Come Follow Me calendar that gives you every single Come Follow Me reading um, assignment for next year on a calendar with some absolutely gorgeous um, gorgeous uh, photography uh, from a, a new friend of mine um, and super excited to be sharing that with you. So if you're interested in that, make sure that you go to everydayconversion.com forward slash calendar to get your copy. If you order before Christmas, you get free shipping. Um, and I know there's only a few left. They've, they've sold hundreds of these things. Um, this was kind of a trial run this year. So uh, there's a few left. You can check it out. You can see what it looks like. You can learn more about what it has in it. 
Um, and, and I really think they're going to be awesome gifts for friends. I know you probably can't get it before Christmas, but uh, you can certainly get it before the beginning of the year so that you can start using it with your Come Follow Me study in 2020. So again, everydayconversion.com forward slash calendar to get that. And you can get the links to everything we talked about today, including the link to that calendar at everydayconversion.com forward slash 129. Have a great week. All right, that's it for today. Now, I know, I know you want to hang out with me longer, but we both have a ton of things to do today, including living the gospel and trying to be like Jesus. Cue primary children singing. I'm trying to be like Jesus. But hey, if you want to get the links to everything we talked about today, you can find it on the episodes page of everydayconversion.com. You can also do cool stuff like subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast listening platform, sign up for email notifications of new episodes, and connect with us on social media there. It's kind of like a virtual church library without the militant librarians or a piece of paper to sign out your three tiny pieces of chalk for your lesson. Also, just remember, I do my best to make sure my opinions are in line with official church doctrine, but they are just that. They're my opinions. For official doctrine and viewpoints, I recommend you go to churchofjesuschrist.org or comeuntochrist.org. 